You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 37. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are going to be talking about PMO career evolution. We're going to talk about what is causing the shift in PMO responsibilities globally, how to keep up with the changing PMO landscape, understanding the future of the PMO leadership role and how this might affect you, what you must do to prepare for this evolution, I'm also going to share the biggest career limiting mistake that I see PMO leaders making and talk about some unique ways to gain some self-awareness and the most important skills you should be focusing on to succeed. I'm also going to share a little bit about my big personal focus for this year to ensure that I'm creating enough time and space to think creatively and ensure that I'm focused on my top priority goals. And I have a special guest joining me from across the pond today. But before we dive in, I want to make sure that you know that the PMO Strategies Impact Inner Circle Membership Program is about to reopen. Make sure you are on the wait list before we open the doors again to our completely revamped, customized experience with tons of resources from training and templates and guidance and playbooks and assessments all in a super, super easy to access format. Make sure you are on the wait list so that when the doors open, you get the special bonuses that are only for my existing members and waitlisters. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash membership to get on that wait list. And I will be in touch with you soon to let you know what's coming. Okay, let's dive into today's episode around PMO career evolution. I have a very special guest with us today, Lindsay Scott. Lindsay joins us from the UK, where she's the creator of the PMO Flash Mob and a director of PMO training at a company in the UK. She also hosts the annual PMO conference in London each year, which I'm speaking at this year. And in other words, as I like to say, she loves PMO just as much as I do. Lindsay, welcome to the program. Hello, hi, nice to be here. It's great to be able to chat about um, PMO stuff. And um, one of the things I, I also love talking about a lot is um, around careers things as well. I'm also a director of a, a, a recruitment company here in the UK. So we've done a lot of PMO recruitment over the years. So I've got lots of stuff there that is really interesting and hopefully we'll probably dive into some of it today. And also enjoy really writing a lot as well. So one of the things that I also do around career stuff is write the, the PMI column, the careers column that they have in their membership magazine. So it's always good to, to listen to problems and things that people have in their careers and you know talk through the different ways that they can overcome them. So it's great to have a session with you today, Laura, about careers. Well, thank you so much for being here. And that's really why I thought it was important to have you on the podcast, because I feel like There's a lot going on for PMO leaders right now, a lot of uncertainty for some PMO leaders, depending on where they are in the world and where they are in their organization. And there's a lot changing. And I thought it was really important that we talk about that and talk about what's changing, how things are changing, and how PMO leaders can really put a focus on their careers and make sure that they are able to make the biggest impact possible. Because in my opinion, there's no more powerful position in the organization if you do it right than the PMO leader that can help really champion the organization's strategy through to making an impact. And that's really what it's all about, right? So one of the things that came up for me a lot when I was speaking at PMI's PMO Symposium last fall was this concept of continuous improvement. I attended a lot of other sessions and I kept hearing this theme of continuous improvement come up with respect to what PMO leaders need to be thinking about. And for some presentations, it was around their own personal development, continuous improvement. And for others, it was around the PMO and how it needs to continuously improve. But I think there's more going on there. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today, Lindsay. I think we're really 
in a time period where change is continuing to happen even faster and organizations are constantly not just improving but evolving in order to keep up with this frenetic pace of change. And for PMOs, I think that it's incredibly important that they continue to not just improve, but evolve to continue to meet those shifting needs. So I think there's a real theme these days of continuous evolution when it comes to the PMO. And of course, that means that we also need to be continuing to evolve with our careers. So Lindsay, I'd love to get your thoughts on this concept of continuous evolution in the PMO space and what you're seeing out there. I think it's a, it is an interesting one. We do talk about it quite a lot when we get together at some PMO flash mobs, which incidentally is a, it's a kind of networking group of people that are in PMOs at various levels. And, and obviously these conversations that come up in those meetups and things that we have. Partially, I think the issue that a lot of people get with this is that there is a, a type of stress that comes with it. Because of this, you know, we keep hearing about how it's constant change and it's never, you know, it's never going to, what is it about the quotes about it's, you know, change is never going to be as slow as it, as it is, right. now, whatever it is, you're probably better at doing quotes than I am. And I think sometimes it's the fear of, like, okay, so from a PMA point of view, the difficulty is, is in which areas and spaces do I need to be looking? Because it actually feels like there's a lot potentially coming down the line there's stuff that immediately needs attention there's things on the horizon and then there's things that feel like they're about and maybe a year or two out and it's from a from a PMO leader's point of view it can feel particularly stressful about not knowing um, how to pinpoint and make the best dare I say guess about what evolution is required from their PMO in other words how do we really know where the business is going, where it's going to be in the next couple of years? And therefore, if we, as a PMO, needs to evolve, in what direction do we need to be going? Because it almost feels like it's a, the blind leading the blind sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we, we have conversations about is, yes, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that we need to get a grip on it. I mean, there's one that automatically comes into my mind at the moment in the UK. It's all around AI technologies and looking at things like predictive analytics and machine learning and robotic process automation. Really exciting stuff. You can absolutely see how that could be the biggest evolution ever for a PMO in recent times. However, we're still grappling with the, the kind of day-to-day -day stuff that the business really needs now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how do we manage to find the time? And actually, you know, where do we get the knowledge from? You know, so there's so much stuff and it kind of, it kind of, you know, feels quite stressful, really, to be a PMO leader, I think, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. But I do think there's things that you can do about it. And I think that one of the things that I'm encouraging my students to do, and in fact, they do do in my Impact Engine PMO training program, is get into a different mindset of this continuous evolution as opposed to improvement and build an organization that can be nimble and flexible and shift quickly to meet needs as they're shifting. Because, you know, in one sense, I think of PMO leaders and project managers as future predictors, right? I mean, that's literally what they do for a living is to the best of their ability, predict the future, predict what's going to happen with a project, right? That's what a plan is, is a, your best guess, your best prediction of the future. And so I think that we can lean back on that a little bit and say, okay, well, what do we know, you know, right? We're good at this. We're good at scoping and planning and estimating. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to not forget how much we can predict the future based on what we know that's in front of us, but we've got to be paying attention, really close attention to what is in front of us and start paying more attention, I think, to trends that are happening, pay attention to what our executives are thinking. I mean, come on. Your executives, their job is to think about the future, right? So spend time with them, talking to them about what they're seeing the future looks like and start having some of those conversations so that you can get a little bit better at predicting what's to come. So that's just my two cents on it. It is very stressful, but I think that if we realize how much we actually do know and how good we actually are at 
being able to pull requirements from people, right? <laughs> that don't even know how to clearly articulate them. We're good yeah. at pulling requirements from people. We're good at planning. We're good at figuring out how the future could look and how to get there. So I think it's less stressful if we don't forget the strengths we already have that we can use to tackle this evolutionary process going on right now. So I want to um, come back to you on something that you said there about, um, and I'm really interested in this bit, is um, you said about it, so, you know, having a change in mindset yeah, and yeah. in thinking about where PMOs are right now and where they need to be changing from and to in terms of their mindset. Because one of the things that we've been exploring a lot over the last, probably say about 18 months with some of the stuff that like uh, the Agile, for example, like trying to work out, you know, the best way to support both Agile and Waterfall projects in a PMO and where, you know, Agile might not be straightforward, but the teams are not doing real Agile in any form of all of that. And one of the things that we got talking about quite a lot is about the PMO being able to experiment and to be experimenters and to think about actually part of their, their makeup is that they should be able to have a bit of a playground where sometimes we have got to experiment with some of the stuff that comes down the line. We have got to be able to have that time where, like you say, I love what you're saying there about you've got to remember what our strengths are, but the ability to play through some of this stuff without the rest of the organisation and actually getting any eyes on it. Because I think back way back in my past, well, in terms of PMO management, a lot of the time when you were putting processes and new processes out there and what we speak like continuous development type stuff, you used to open yourself up for failure. Mm. all the time you never used to do any kind of piloting of things you were just always yep new process that should throw it out there so i really like the conversations that are happening at the moment about having that that opportunity to experiment and for people to know that it's an experiment and that they are playing you know i think it's great in terms of that when we think about mindset and having to change it i think it's helpful if we understand well what is our mindset like now and ideally, what would we like our mindset to be in the next six months, a year, two years, whatever it might be? Because I think sometimes one of the PMO's strengths, I believe, is that you're highly organised and logical and analytical, which means that when it comes to things like talking about playgrounds and experimentation and all that kind of stuff, it feels very creative, which kind of feels quite a far away in terms of, a, you know, where we've we basically built up this, this kind of thing of that the PMO is that analytical place to go. If you want the right information, the only source of the truth, all of that kind of stuff, you go to the PMO. And actually now, that is still the case, but we also want people to feel like they can experiment and play and work things through as a team and, and all that kind of stuff, which is a completely different mindset. Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting. So I was thinking about it. And what came to mind when you were talking was it's like a mini R&D function inside yeah. the PMO. And so I was thinking, well, if you work in an organization that has an R&D function, you'd be able to maybe make the case for that kind of playful, learn, experimenting kind of environment. And I couldn't agree more. And that's exactly how I teach my students in my signature program, because I think it's so important that they test things, right? So it's basically an agile implementation approach to the PMO where you do everything in 90 day cycles. And the whole mindset is we're going to experiment with either one service that we're going to go wide on or one service that we're going to go really deep on in one area. And we're going to use that as a pilot. Basically everything you do, you do it as a pilot, no big bang. And I think that you're hitting the nail on the head, Lindsay, with what actually works, right? Like when I was building and running PMOs for 15 years inside organizations and now helping my students do that and my clients do that since then, I think that the biggest challenge that people underestimate is the change resistance that happens when you go big bang. And I think that when you have an opportunity to try something and maybe you use one of your champions or sponsors or business units that you know is really going to give you the right feedback and let you test things and try things and improve things with them. Do it with them instead of to them, right? That's the biggest change management secret in the world. Do it with them instead of to them because then you yeah. build those champions that will then continue to help and support you and, and talk about their great experience and they've got a stake in the outcome because they built it with you. So 
I think that you're really hitting an important point that is not as taken as seriously as I think it should be, which is to have that research and development, R&D function, or kind of an, a way to slowly implement things so that you can evolve, right, with the organizational needs, but also test and validate so that you don't spend months or years even building a bunch of templates, tools, and process and a bunch of things that you then shove at everyone and all of a sudden, poof, now you're in PMO world and you've completely revamped the way people have to think about what they're doing and they haven't been a part of the process. So I couldn't agree with you more on that approach. And that's exactly what I teach my students to do because it works, right? It works when you have an opportunity to evolve and grow with the organization instead of doing the PMO to them. It's a push rather than the the pull, isn't it? And I think that's another thing that I have been reading quite a lot around PMOs as well at the moment, just this balance between the push and the pull. Because I don't think, you know, there are going to be things that the the PMO does push, but equally, you you know, I think there's a lot more of the pull where people are coming to you Mm -hmm. rather than you pushing on them. And I think one of the things that um, I liked about the, you know, if you do the big bang, it's always been, it's the reputational risk. not only to the PMO if you get it wrong but also to the person that's leading that PMO it's seen as being kind of like on your head be it you know which is it circles back around to our theme around careers there's so so much stuff there that potentially has that it could be harmful but I really like the thing as well about just coming back to the mindset thing and also where you're bringing it up about the uh, the R&D department one of the things that I quite like to do with the flash mobber is to bring in, you know, different theories, different frameworks, different processes that are completely outside the field of project management. Mm. Because I think there's, you know, there's so much good practice out there for different occupations that are actually very useful for lots of different walks of life. You know, there's so many things out there about people working in teams and running teams and how do we get people to think about better ideas and all that kind of stuff. So there's always loads of great things that you can look outside the industry. So the one that just sprung to my mind when you were talking about the R&Ds, I know we, we looked at some of the stuff that came out of Stanford University about design thinking. Mm. So they've got a brilliant website with some really nice different kinds of ex- exercises that you can be doing to kind of get into that kind of mentality, I suppose, of research and development, because it's not our world. So let's have a look at the R&D world and like, you know, how do we do their jobs and, and what can we pinch? <laughs> what knowledge can we pinch and utilize that in our world as well? Because, you know, sometimes you get a step change in the way you are just by looking a little bit outside our, you know, we tend to get blinkered, don't we, in the whole PPM world and forget that there's so much more stuff out there. And yeah, it's just trying to find it, of course, but, you know, it's one thing. Okay, so what is it that we're trying to do with this the evolution? You know, like I keep being, coming back to the project data one, which is a big one, I suppose, right now, because PMA Flashmore just right now creating a report that was based on getting PMO managers around the table to talk about what experiences have they already got with the, the whole project data analytics, AI type stuff. And to be fair, for a lot of people in PMO, it's scary. Mm-hmm. They're coming from a position of not really understanding, okay, look, I can go and read our Harvard business review, but it's talking very generically about AI technologies having an impact on a business. But kind of, you know, in my world around project management and PMO, it doesn't help when you're hearing statistics like the latest one from Gartner about by 2030, there'll be no need for certain project management functions, which wow. are essentially things like reporting. Which yeah. behind that headline is essentially saying that the PMO will not be needed anymore because we're just going to be able to do it all by AI. And it's, that kind of stuff's not helpful at all. But and it's up to us to be able to go and find out, well, what actually is really happening? What are people really doing? You know, I keep hearing about, yeah, AI is going to change the world. You know, it's going to be great. But actually, if you look, honestly, if we look at a business today, how many PMOs are still kind of cobbling together information on spreadsheets and Excel and all that kind of stuff. And you're seriously expecting that in the next 10 years, all of that will have changed significantly and we'll be using bots and all this kind of, you know, different technology. I I find it in a decade, I personally can't see, you know what, I'm going to listen back to this podcast in 10 years and I'll be like, oh, no worries. Um, But if you, you know, the reality is, is for, 
a lot of PMOs are trying to evolve and do good stuff and they have one hand tied behind their back because the organization is not investing in things like the PPM tools. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big thing here in the UK. I don't know how it is with you in the States, but you know, you've got lots of vendors out there that are, are you know, got some great technology. However, organizations are not putting their hand in their pocket because as far as they can see that, you know, the Excel spreadsheets and the lag statuses, that's fine, that'll do. We're not prepared to spend any more money on that, you know? So there's only so much evolution you can do if it feels like you're trying to do it with sticky plaster. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like, I think the PMO can do so much more than just reporting, right? And to me, Project management and the function of the PMO is a people organization and a people job. And there's only so much of that that you can automate. Absolutely, you can automate some of the reporting. And I think we should, because I think anything that the PMO is doing that is administrative and that can be automated, let's do that. Because then we, as PMO leaders and PMO staff and project managers, can spend a lot more of our time bringing people with them through change, supporting the actual project, influencing, driving strategy, helping the organization continue to meet the shifting needs. I think there's a much bigger play here for PMOs than reporting. And I'd love to see you be wrong, Lindsay. I would love to see (laughs) 10 years from now, everything that can be automated is automated. And I think it's gonna happen. And I think it's gonna happen faster than we think globally, all these changes take time and people do ultimately have to reach into their pockets and say, I want to invest in this. But the easier it gets to invest in and the more that we're able to automate that administrative overhead, that administrative function, the sooner PMO leaders can make the transition to what I call impact drivers. Mm -hmm. They can be the ones that are actually doing the people side of this work, which frankly cannot be automated. So I would love to see us continue to evolve in the direction where the PMO function and the team and the leader of that team become much more business-oriented, influential, strategic navigators of the organization's change process. And I think that that's, that's what's coming and that's what I prepare my students for because I feel like there's so many opportunities and that's a part of that whole evolution, right? We've talked about the evolution of the PMO and how to get ready for that and how to solve today's problems while figuring out what tomorrow's problems are going to be. And that is hard, but doable. I think that there's another side to this, which is something that you and I've talked a little bit about, which is the PMO leader themselves and those that are in the PMO, the people, and what they need to do to evolve themselves and their own careers to continue to not just stay relevant, but highly impactful in organizations. And you and I have talked a little bit about this and a podcast I did earlier this year was around the biggest mistake that I see PMO leaders and program project professionals making. And it's huge and it's career limiting and damaging and it's not investing in their own self-development. And it kills me when I have people come to me when their PMO is already on the chopping block, when they're gonna lose their jobs because they've lost credibility or the faith or the belief or the investment from their leadership team because they didn't invest in themselves. They didn't stay current on not just technologies, but also where the business is going, where their business is going. They didn't update their leadership and organizational change management skills, all the people stuff, right? So when we look at what's happening, when we look at people that are struggling, what I see every time is that they didn't invest in their own self-development. And I think that that's a critical and fatal mistake for you professionally if you don't. And so that's why I do what I do, right? That's why you do what you do is to help provide easy to access, easy to digest resources, training and support guidance for PMO leaders so that they can continue to evolve in their careers. And I think that that mistake can be remedied. It can be remedied right now for all of you guys listening. There are tons of ways, this podcast included, 
tons of ways of learning and developing and growing your skills. And if you don't, I think you will regret it professionally because those are the people that are in those jobs that they're not happy, they're frustrated, they're working long hours, they're not feeling appreciated, they're feeling like and being treated like they're administrative overhead. All of that pain that they experience, I think can be traced back to really not continuing to evolve themselves professionally to meet the shifting needs of their organization and of the role of PMO leader, which I think is absolutely evolving and it should. And when it does, and as it does, you will see PMO leadership as a really critical function. And you do in many organizations with Mm -hmm. the clients I work with, the PMO and the PMO leadership team is an incredibly critical function in the organization. And I think that's going to continue to happen. So I'd love to get your thoughts on the personal career development side of this evolutionary Mm -hmm. process, what you're seeing and kind of mistakes people are making and what guidance you have on what they could be doing differently. Yeah, I've got a couple of things in also in response to, to what you were talking and to build on what you were already saying about the technology advances come along, which mean that we do have to be more concentrating on the manager side of the title rather than the PMO side of the title. Um, yeah. It's um, incredibly difficult to do that kind of self-awareness and self-reflection about, well, how do I know how good I really am at some mm-hmm. of the people stuff, you know? So Yes, everybody is going to have times when they're quite, you think, well, you know, I handled that really well. That was a successful outcome. I carry on using that same approach and and actually it doesn't work next time. There's all of these different kind of people side of stuff. It's, you know, well, they always say the soft skills, don't they? I mean, actually it's the hard skill. But in terms of what PMO leaders can be doing, and I think it's crucial, is trying to do that. That kind of looking at the skills that you do have and thinking about the gaps that you have. Now, unfortunately, for for PMO professionals at the moment, there is no kind of competency framework for people in PMO. But incidentally, PMO Flash Mob is working on it, but it's taking a long time because, again, you kind of need to understand, well, what, you know, when we say that we need to have better influencing skills, what does that mean in a PMO context, a wider business context, and also within my organization. So there's different ways and different perspectives that people will have on what makes good influencing skills. So I think that's the first thing is about trying to understand how as a PMO, I mean, I've got all the answers yet, but how do we understand what our own personal skills gaps are as a PMO leader? The second thing was about one of the things that I've been really interested in recently, looking into self-development and thinking more about how we can get better at what it is we do generally by and large pmo leaders don't necessarily have to go down the route of doing formal training so doing their certifications and getting their pmps and all that kind of stuff so those kind of you know those certifications that are more technically buyers that wouldn't necessarily give you the the big kind of step change or great insights that you probably need at this level of your career and one of the things that i found really interesting lately again was looking outside the profession and understanding how we do it in the healthcare sector, which is all around things like journaling. So what they're doing there is analyzing situations that they've had at work and they have a physical journal. I mean, I, I have one on my iPad now, but you know, you can actually physically have a pen and paper. And it's to think at the end of each day or each week where you've had a particular situation happen and you write about what happened and you write about what you did and what you could have done better and what you think the different outcomes could have been if you'd chosen different courses of actions. There's actually a number of different questions that, and there's loads of resources, by the way, out there in the wonderful Google to look at journaling. But I think when you're at a certain, the level of PMO leadership, kind of that level in your career, actually most of your training and most of your development is actually going to come from your own self-reflection. It's something that I've never really thought about before but when I started looking deeper into CPD which I think is also PDU so continuing professional development when I started looking at some of the stats and there's a a great thing that came out from McKinsey recently saying that actually most people's development doesn't come through training courses it actually comes from being on the job so it's the things that you are doing on a day-by-day basis that are giving you the biggest learning that you can have so the way I think about that is if you're going to do things like, okay, you know, I, w- I want to think about how I could better influence some stakeholders. 
I'm probably going to go and do a bit of reading on that. I'll probably go and have a look at some websites. There might be a few online training courses. I might even go to do a day's training. But my training is not ending there. The training is when you put it together with the work-based actual situations that you're in and then being able to do that journaling, that self-reflection about, well, I tried this today and actually that approach didn't work. Why didn't it approach? Well, why didn't that approach work? It's trying to think about more about what it is you're doing, be more self-aware and how you're conducting yourself in that role of, of being a PMO leader. And I think it is difficult when we think about development and how do I, you know, how do I know which way is developed? I mean, you're probably listening to this now and you think, oh, I definitely know there's a few things I'd like to get better at. You know, <laughs> um, when I ask people about it at flash mobs and stuff, they'll always say to me, I can't believe you get up there in front of everybody, like on a, on a stage or whatever, and just do the public speaking thing. I said, well, you should have seen me about 10 years ago. It was awful, you know? Yeah. But that's often one that a lot of people are lacking in. I mean, I don't know about you. Do you find, Laura, that there's certain, what we class as soft skills that you see lacking perhaps in some of your, you know, your previous career in PMO or, you know, some of your students? Do you see a particular soft skill that, that they, they lack? Well, I think I would say that for me, the biggest one is around organizational change management. And this is not specifically PMO leaders or PMO staff or project managers in general. I think everyone underestimates the power of bringing people with you through the change process. And meaning not every single person, but across different industries, across different roles in different career paths, I think that it's an underappreciated and undervalued skill. In fact, the first course that I created when I started my company in 2013 was an organizational change management course. Because what I was seeing was for PMO leaders and project managers in particular, we are change. We are all about change. Everything we do is bringing change to people. So I think it's not one particular soft skill, but just, again, I go back to mindsets. A lot of the work that I do is teaching people new mindsets that then can launch them into better influencing and better understanding of the change that they're trying to create and how to bring people with them through it, et cetera. And so one of the things that I noticed was that I would get on stages, speaking of speaking, and I would ask people how many of them thought that people were resistant to change. And 90% of the room raises their hands. And I would make the argument that I continue to make, which is that people are not resistant to change. And when I say that, people look at me and laugh. And I say, have you ever met anyone that's gotten married on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> have you met anyone that's ever had any children on purpose? Right? <laughs> I mean, we are not resistant to change. We are resistant to having change done to us, right? We embrace change when we own it, when we control it, when we feel like we are in control of our destiny. So what we really suffer from, I think, and one of the biggest weaknesses I think we have that is something that is threaded through every single time I'm on stage, every single thing I teach, everything I do, there's a thread of organizational change management in it because I think it's the fundamental building block that we miss. And it's why project managers and PMO leaders and others tend to have this uphill battle when they're bringing a project through to completion and realization. It's that they didn't bring people with them through the change process properly. So for me, I think that's the biggest. There's certainly others, but they all kind of pile up on that mindset. And that's why I have what I call the impact PMO leader mindsets, which is the six mindsets, which for those of you listening, you can go back and listen to the mindset series in the beginning of the podcast. I think it's episodes one through nine, one through eight. And what I talk about is all the mindset shifts that you need to make, which all have a threat of organizational change management to them, a threat of influencing, a threat of business-minded, business focus. And all of that leads to, when you shift those mindsets, you see the world through a different set of lenses completely. Mm -hmm. And when you do, change is not hard projects are not hard. Running a PMO and implementing change in the organization is not hard. And so I think that is the big piece that if we could address that, which is, you know, what I've dedicated my company to doing is to helping PMO leaders address that need. If we can address that, I think there's so much opportunity 
for PMO leaders to, quite frankly, lead the charge in changing the world. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you bring up change management. So I, love, I love the subject. I did a, a degree in psychology, and I think anybody who works in project management, you could probably do with a degree in psychology, to be fair, because it is. It is about people aspects. And, you know, I was talking before about being you know, self-aware, but change management is it's a lot more about being aware of others as well, you know, exactly. in order to be able to. And I, and I think... You know, some of the sciences, again, just talking outside the field of it, you know, there's a lot more. I've loved some of the books that have come out more recently about project management and neuroscience mm. and the way that we think and how other people think and little bits of threads from NLP, which is about, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, see the, you know, see it from their view of the world, all of that kind of stuff. Right. I think it's, you know, it's fantastic stuff. And I think practically then from a PMO leader's point of view, why aren't more PMOs and people that work within a PMO, why aren't they asking for um, a secondment to go and work with a change manager for six months, a year, mm. and then bring those kind of insights back into the PMO? And why is the change manager not wanting the PMO to come and work with them? But you know what I mean? I think it's, yeah. it's I've often said it, is that why is the PMO not doing more around change management you know we think about again the classic things that you're doing around project management you know the stakeholder analysis and things like that we don't go far we don't go anywhere near far enough i don't know again don't know what it's like um in your experiences but here in the uk we do not do enough pmos do not do enough around change management at all so my perspective is this i think it's super dangerous to have a function whose job it is to manage the change for the organization. An organizational change management team, I think is incredibly dangerous because that abdicates the responsibility that every single leader in an organization should have. Because it is such a fundamental leadership skill, when you delegate that to a different department, you run the risk that you don't do it yourself. Right. And because everything that project managers and PMO leaders in this space, everybody in the space, because what we do is all about bringing people through change and getting to a different outcome. Right. We're not just creating a bunch of outputs or deliverables. We're trying to achieve an outcome. And to do that, we've got to bring the people with us through the process. And when we abdicate that responsibility to a different department, we are running the risk that we will not do our jobs, which is to do the change management ourselves. So I'm sure there are organizations where it works. And when it does, I'm sure that that organizational change management function is in lockstep with the people that are doing the change, the actual project managers, the ones that are driving the change, the PMO, et cetera. And you bring a very important point up, which is if there's going to be an organization like that, we need to be doing some job rotation here so that we're learning those skills. Or maybe it's some shared lunch and learn, brown bag kind of things where the organizational change management folks teach their special sauce to the PMO project management folks and vice versa. But I think it's such a critical function that anytime I was building a PMO, I built that into everything we did so that it wasn't a separate function that somebody else managed because it just gets too disjointed, right? And I have seen too many times, wherever I've seen it in an organization, what happens is there's this person that's either respected and appreciated or not that sits in on your meetings or doesn't and is supposed to be making sure all the people stuff happens, right? But it doesn't, right? So, so whenever I have seen it, it's been something that either hasn't been respected and appreciated or hasn't been highly incorporated into the process. And it's kind of like this HR function over here. Well, we have to have, it's a big change. So we got to have this change person on our team, our project. And it is good to have somebody looking at those things and challenging and probing and asking questions. But if we're going to have it be a separate person, everyone's going to get so busy doing their day-to-day of getting the projects to happen that they're going to forget that it's their job to actually make sure that the change is digestible and incorporated into the fabric of what people are doing, as opposed to this new project outcome just kind of being plopped on top of everything else they're doing. So I, <laughs> I get very passionate about this, Lindsay, as you can tell, because I just, I've never seen it work well. And if anyone listening has seen it work well, 
reach out to me. I want to know about it because I want to know what is working so that we can share that with others where it's not working so well. But don't you dare PMO leaders abdicate the responsibility of bringing people through the change process to some other department. You own it and you need to own it in order to be successful, be an influencer and truly be able to drive the organization strategy. Amen. Sorry, I get a little fired up on some of these things, <laughs> but it's just, you know, like, ah, yeah, Lindsay, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I just, because I've been doing this for so long and it took me a long time and a lot of um, coaching from my advisors to pull out of me what I just took for granted. Once I learn it, you know, like when you learn something, you start to take it for granted until you see, like I would go up and speak on stages and you could almost see the light bulbs going off in the audience when people were getting something that I had just incorporated into how I was doing things. Not initially, you have to learn over the years of doing it wrong first, right? And then you learn the right way to do things. But once I learned it, I was like, well, this is just what you do. And I really had to start looking at what others were doing and figuring out how to help them. And that's when I would see the gaps. And that's when I would see the mistakes. And I would be like, oh my gosh, I really just want to help you because I know that there is a better way and I cannot stand seeing PMO leaders struggle or be frustrated or hate their jobs because it's the coolest job in the world, if you ask me, you know, and it, re- it really can be, obviously, you know, we love PMOs, right? So we believe that, but yeah, we're just a tad biased, but, but what, what other function positions you so uniquely in an organization to be able to take this valuable and precious investment of the organization's funding and time and resources and energy and focus and carry that through to incredible impact that the organization is making on those that they serve. And so it's a really cool opportunity, but one that comes with a great responsibility. Yeah, and I will add a great deal of grief as well, because if you look back over the 20 years or so that I've been in, in this field, it has changed a lot and will continue to keep changing. Right. So you show me which areas of a business fundamentally change. So, you know, you could be working in HR departments or finance or whatever. But the PMO has just been one hell of a journey yeah. over that time. And that is just reflective of the fact that you're in the, the change side of, of business. Yeah. And I think sometimes we feel like we're striving for the perfect kind of PMO. This is not the job for you if you think you're ever going to get there, as it doesn't exist. Mm. I can tell you that now, because 20 years I've been in and around PMOs, and you see the the changes that they go through, and there's never a spot on the horizon that they're going to get to. How could they possibly be if businesses continue to change? So I think sometimes people do get upset (laughs) working in a PMO when they've not been doing it for a while. Mm. They get a bit upset thinking, this is just like chaos, it's mad. It's like, why is that project manager not doing that thing? And why is this not that? And why are we using these tools? And, and it, it's just all part of the, the wonderful jumble that, that is PMO. And I think it's a brilliant opportunity for leaders that are not expecting and don't want the status quo. It, it just does not need that kind of person. It's going to take people that go with the highs and the lows. It's going to be a case that you're going to get knocked back on some things, but actually you're going to get great accolades for doing something that you think is probably God, this was relatively easy. Why didn't I think of this five years ago? Because actually five years ago, it wouldn't have worked because Mm. we've changed now. So it sounds bizarre, but a lot of people, when they come into a PMO, are thinking that it's not going to change. It's like, but it's going to, of course, it's going to change project management at the end of the day. But it brings us, um, you know, from what you were talking, round full circle, because we were talking yeah. about development and development of self and the development of teams. One thing I'd be really interested in your view on is that we started talking about the evolution of PMO, which, like I said, can feel quite scary. Continuous, continuous improvement feels quite nice. It feels like, oh, you know, we can just little bunny hops you know that sounds great (laughs) evolution of a PMO sounds like oh my word what else are we gonna let ourselves in for now but I'm I'm really interested in a PMO leader today thinking about there are going to be big step changes it is going to happen 
So what do, today can you be thinking about of not only development for yourself, but also for your team? So if I'm a PMO leader in an organization today, you know, if I'm sitting there with a blank piece of paper, what should I be thinking about? What should I be thinking about to get into a position where me and my team getting skills up to, to deal with this? Mm. Let's see. So obviously organizational change management is number one, right? And depending on what it is that you want to learn and how you want to learn it, I definitely have some resources that I'll put in the show notes for folks. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world is Barbara Trotline, who invented the term CQ, like EQ and IQ, but CQ for change intelligence. And she has a wonderful book and program that I'm always referring people to around understanding your style around change intelligence. And it does have a great combination of self-reflection, self-awareness, and then how you interact with the world. I also have an organizational change management program and we have some things in our membership, et cetera. So there's tons of resources there for that. So organizational change management, I would say would be the biggest, but there's a lot of pieces to that. And I think that leadership competencies, I think that a big focus for not just PMO leaders, but for project managers and program managers and the like is this concept I talk about around becoming an impact driver. And what that is all about is really understanding that what you're doing has a business effect, a business impact. And so I think that becoming more business-minded and business-focused is a very important way to shift and evolve as the position of PMO and project management is evolving. And what I mean by that is understand what your business is trying to do. Really understand the business you work in, understand what the business is trying to do and get very familiar and build relationships with your business colleagues. So the ones that are actually out there interacting with customers and engaging with the customers, building the systems and the tools and the process for those customers, whatever those customers look like, get to know the customers and get to know the people that serve them because they have a business focused, business minded approach. And that is where you are going to find your space and find out what you should be working on, what you should be focusing on. The executives in the organization, like we talked about, and in particular, the CEO of your organization, their job is to be thinking about the future, not the current. The COO tends to be focused on the operations of the organization today and also may have a role in the future, but your chief executive officer, their job is to be focused on the future. The board, if you have a board of directors for your organization, those folks, even if you can just find a way to be a fly on the wall or you know, go have coffee with them or whatever your organizational kind of hierarchy supports, find ways to read what they're writing, to listen to what they're saying, and that will help you understand where the opportunities will come and help you become more strategic. I don't know how many times people have said to me, well, my boss said I need to be more strategic. What the heck does that mean? It's not some mystery, really. It's understanding who and how you need to best serve and be ready to serve your end customers in the future. And so what does that look like? So you got to understand your customers now and you got to understand the mindset of your organization now and how the organization operates so that you can continue to be prepared for what's coming in the future. I think those are the big ones. So I talk about being a strategy navigator in order to navigate the organization's strategy through to making an impact. You've got to understand what the business is doing and why, right? That's one thing I talk to my students a lot about is really understanding the why and the business problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, I mean, and all I'd add to that is, is one of the things that I've looked at before now is something called organizational network analysis, so ONA for short, which is your, essentially what you're saying is that it's about being, doing the analysis of people within the organization. Because I see that, you know, people are leading great PMOs are seen as a connectors. Yes. So actually being able to do something, again, this comes back to talking to a lot of PMO people that want, can you give me a framework or something that I can actually read about? And ONA is a way that, you know, allows you to start to think about, here's me in the middle and all the different connections and different departments and all that kind of stuff. Because actually what you're positioning yourself to be is that connector. Mm -hmm. Is that person within the, within the business 
but if it's anything to do with you know maybe it be project change or you know wanting to you know but you don't know the right person the change department to talk to actually people will always come to you and that allows you then to form relationships be able to ask questions of the right people and to the right people um, which is exactly what you're saying it's you know about the being more strategic is, is is exactly that you need to know what's going on so what better yeah. you do is be connecting and building relationships with the right people and ONA is just a way that it gets you to think about that differently in terms of okay I'm going to get a piece of paper right now I'm going to start looking at who are these prominent people within this business that can do things for me as well as for us to be able to do things for them because I think ultimately and it comes right back to what I said before is about the PMO needs investment to be able to evolve yeah sure we need to be showing the value that we're delivering benefits that we are giving the business what they need but also we do need called cash we need cash to be able to do this so we need to know we need to know who in that organization is going to give it to us right let's be really cold about it for a minute but you know but that's partly what it's all about you know that's how all the people in the organization get investment Right. They go out there and they ask for it. Yeah, exactly. And how do you make the case for them spending their limited dollars investing in the PMO? And I would suggest they're not really investing in the PMO. They're investing in the promise that you're making to them of what you're going to do for them. And I investing in you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry, but a lot of the time with PMOs, they live and die by who's leading them. Mm-hmm. That has got to change for a start, but I do believe it is still the case that PMO is only as good as its leader. Mm. I totally agree. And if that's the case, then what should the PMO leader be doing from a career development perspective? And what mistakes do you see them making now? And what should they be doing in order to continue to develop their skills so that they can properly lead the charge and lead the change in their organizations? All of the things you've just been listening to, <laughs> everything that we've just talked about, all of those things. But, do you know what's the best way to do it? Where would I? I mean, you'd have to start picking them up. But I do believe it in what you're saying. But it is about ultimately what does the business want? What does the senior executives want? Really understanding what it is that they want, perhaps maybe having to help them understand what it is they want, because that's another problem after time. You know, you can think of some great questions to ask a business about what do you want the PMO to do, and half the time they haven't got a clue. So, you know, there's that kind of consultative bit, and I think actually it comes back to, I do believe, but at a PMO leader point of view level, that it is the softer stuff. So my challenge to anybody listening would be, okay, so maybe you need to start thinking about picking off. Where do you know in your heart about where is your weakness? When it comes to, you know, if you're imagining yourself and you've been given 10 minutes that a senior executive who is promising or certainly has the, you know, the ability to give a really good investment into your PMO and you are in that room to get that money, that investment, surely you should know in your heart about what part of your skill sets, your behavioural approach, your personality, whatever it might be, what do you think is going to stop you from being able to get it? Maybe that's the way that we have to look at it. It's just, a, you know, which, which soft skill do I believe is the one that is really holding me back? And it's incredibly difficult to do. But we've got to start thinking about it, really. And it all comes down to things like self-reflection, I think, and being really honest with ourselves. Wow. Well, that, there you have it. That's it. I think that for all of you listening today, I think your call to action, your assignment from this is to identify that one thing, the one thing that you really need to focus on and start there. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they either get some self-assessment work done or do some 360 assessment work, or they get information maybe in a review and they say, oh my gosh, there's all these things. And the biggest mistake people make is trying to solve all of them at once. And so the same way that the PMO is evolving, the same way that your career is evolving, you need to look at this process as an evolution and just pick one thing 
and go work on that. And then when you've got that improved to where you need it to be in order to make the impact you're trying to make, then you work on the next thing. But that's your call to action, folks. Pick one thing and go work on that one skill set right now. And what's yours, Laura? So my one thing is something that I have been working on slowly and I'm trying to pick up the pace on, which is taking more time to think because there's so much going on in my mind and I'm such a get it done girl and I always have been that I just go, go, go and I execute and I get tons done and people are constantly telling me how they think it's amazing how much I can physically get done in any short period of time because I live and breathe project management, right? So we're the get it done people. But one thing that I'm really working on doing more of is slowing down to think slowing down to create space for the new ideas to come, slowing down to create opportunities for the inspiration and doing things like meditating. And when I'm exercising, maybe not having headphones in, but just listening to the ideas as they come because they do. And running is one of my favorite ways to get in ideas and inspiration. But just for me, it's not filling my mind with more stuff. It's emptying it out to make space for the things that I can do to help others in a more meaningful way. How about you, Lindsay? Great answer. Uh, mine's going to be say no more often. Oh, so, yay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to extrapolate that to be all around maybe negotiation. Mm-hmm. Because my problem is I like to say yes because I don't have fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Because I like some of the, you know, the opportunities and things to get involved with that come my way. And I'm like, oh, I really don't have any more time, but I love the idea of it. Yes, yes, yes. I need to start thinking about how I can negotiate better. So not negotiation in terms of, you know, the business transaction, but it's, you know, being able to have your cake and eat it, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. But that's just the one today. Ask me again tomorrow, which is why we have to focus on one. Because yeah. I think if you get too distracted and we, you know, we'll have another one tomorrow and you just, you get nowhere, do you? You just, you've got to concentrate on something. So right. I'm going to start trying that one, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that's a common one. Actually, I think both of these are really common ones that PMO leaders should be spending their time on, one or both of these, and don't, right? Because I think that I feel like a PMO leader is a natural caregiver. And I don't mean from a parenting perspective, but you're in a role that kind of does <laughs> reflect parenting and much much about parenting, like, you know, underappreciated many times, overworked and not taking enough time for yourself, right? So that balance of interesting that we have two very complementary goals to focus on this year. And in order to make the space to think and to have time, you must learn to say no to things and saying no to the things that you really do need to say no to in order to make the space for the outcomes you're trying to achieve and to do bigger and more exciting things. So I think that I've gotten a little bit better at the saying no, but it took a lot of life chaos for me personally to finally figure out how to do it. So I wish you luck on that journey, Lindsay, of saying no more because it's so easy to take care of others and to want to say yes to things and not put ourselves first, which puts Mm -hmm. us back full circle on this whole topic of PMO evolution and PMO career development and the evolution of your careers. In order to truly accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, you will need to learn to prioritize, say no to things and make space for it. And One of my advisors for my company, his name's Kendall Lott. He's one of the co-founders of the Project Management for Change and the Project Management Day of Service that we started many years ago now. He would say to me when I would talk about how overloaded I was, personally and professionally, he'd say, pick three things. You can only do three things at once. If they're big rocks, if they're big things, which in my case, they always were, and I always had five or six going on at once. He said, you were going to fail miserably at most of them or you're gonna get really laser focused and pick three and number four and five and on is just not gonna happen. So that's my two cents from what Kendall taught me that's been super valuable to me to help prioritize and make the space. So I'm gonna keep taking my own medicine and try and keep (laughs) doing three things. (laughs) 
So Lindsay, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wonderful insight. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do so? Oh, just do LinkedIn or something like that. Or if you want to have a look at PMA Flash Mob, um, it's, um, it's free to sign up. There's a stack of stuff on there, um, different resources and you know videos and things and meetups that we've had and all of that kind of good stuff. So yeah, uh, you'll find us LinkedIn or um, on the website, which is just pmaflashmob.org. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, again, for being here today. That's it for all of us here, all of our impact drivers. And you do have some homework impact drivers, and that is to pick your one thing you're going to focus on. Maybe it's finding some mental freedom and space, clear things out so that you can create more space. Whatever it is, make sure that you do what makes most sense for you to continue to focus on evolving your career so that you can make the impact that you are meant to make. All right. Thank you all for being here today. Bye-bye for now. 